Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg and Life Live. You are in the right place at the right time because today we're talking about the meaning of the 23rd Psalm. And the 23rd Psalm didn't pay me anything to say this, but I love the 23rd Psalm. It is just my companion through life. So to get to unpack it here is a, jo- a joy and an honor. And the only thing that could make it better is only if we could have Dr. Jonathan Rose uh, here with us. And here he is. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Curtis, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great, man. I, all It's all going well with you? Yes, yes, it's going well. How about for you? I The only thing that could be better would be liking and subscribing our, to our channel. This is something that you can do to help us get this information out into the world. Uh, and, you know, when you say how you're doing, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm definitely thinking about the state of the world right now. And I know there's a lot yeah. of pain and suffering of like almost mm-hmm. all kinds going on right now. And it, maybe that's always how it is, but it seems like it's it's even more now. So I'm just thinking what, what I do when I'm in distress, like deep distress is often turning to 23rd Psalm. Same and here. yeah, so I was, you know, actually just last night I was having some like uh, trouble like sleeping and like reflux and just it was uh, bothering me like what's going on and I was, it was using it just last night and I didn't even know at that point that we were going to be doing this show about 23rd Psalm. Mm-hmm. So 23rd Psalm is, is like this is this is really, this is not like, yeah, again, this is not like we're brand ambassadors and we just have a relationship because 23rd Psalm cuts us a check. Like we love 23rd Psalm. And so you liking and subscribing and sharing this out can hopefully equip the next person with these tools to not just be able to recite it, but to know what it is and, and have it take deeper root. Because the meaning behind it is what's comforting about the whole thing. Because even, as we'll see, the actual text to it can be a little strange at times if you sit and think about it. So this this show was spurred, spurred on, spurred into existence by you guys asking questions. We actually had two questions from viewers. Number one, um, under the six spiritual powers of the Lord's Prayer show that we had, Bonnie Hay asked, would you consider doing one about the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, one day as well? So we're doing it. But then also under our show, what would a city of angels be like? Matthew Bush asked, can you tell me the correspondence of the rod and staff? which comfort me, which if you haven't, oh, I keep just bong my microphone. If you haven't heard the 23rd Psalm, there's this part about the rod and staff. What does that mean? Why this imagery in here? And how do yeah, these peculiar elements play into this overall sense of comfort? So Jonathan, you yeah, feeling ready to, to talk? Yeah. Yes, and I, I just, I, I wanna echo your point about um, how well loved it is. It's interesting because we've done some really bizarre topics on this show. And yeah. this is just one of the favorite sort of downtown. If you know anything from the Bible, this is probably one of the things you know. And um, but like just taking that point about the rod and the staff, it like the, what about a teddy bear or something like the rod and the staff are not the most comforting thing you can possibly yeah, imagine. Like, like, um, Mom, my dad, I can't sleep. OK, here's this rod to cuddle with. It's go. a strange yeah. thing to derive comfort hold, from. Hold this walking stick. Yeah, you'll be you'll be all right. So this obviously needs, this has obviously got some kind of correspondence going on. We need to unpack it. So let's dig now into the 23rd Psalm. Let's begin by looking at the whole of Psalm 23, which you might say, oh, this is the whole thing. Are you sure we have time? It's only six, which I didn't really realize until we were doing this show. It's only six verses long. 
Yeah, I think that's what's made it so easy to for people to memorize so they can use it in dark moments or whenever they need comfort and so on. It's not that long. So what do you think? I think we might as well just read the whole thing to begin with. What do you think? Yeah, would, would you do the honors? Sure. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. It's got a rhythm to it. It's got a rhythm. So the words vary. That's a translation. The, the one I have in my head is a different translation usually, but with a lot of similarities, of course. But even in that, they're the, just the rhythms of one statement goes up, da, 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 and then this is a counterpoint to this, and this is a counterpoint. It's just a symphony, man. <laughs> it, really it's like nice. It. It's re really, really beautiful poetry. And uh, that was the New Revised Standard Version. There are a number of different translation. So some people may be familiar with it where it says the walk through the valley of the shadow of death or paths of righteousness or, you know, Yay. dwell in the house of the Lord forever and that kind of thing. Um, but it all has the same same meaning. Um, yeah. And, right. and uh, so Swedenborg was really taken with the Psalms and with the prophets in the Old Testament. And uh, at his time period, the uh, everybody's favorite was the New Testament and particularly the epistles of Paul. And uh, but Swedenborg was really fixated on the Old Testament uh, Psalms, which uh, some of which are attributed to David and the uh, prophets from Isaiah to Malachi. And at one point he wrote a manuscript work that he never published where he went pounded through every single chapter of all that material. I don't know, approaching half the Old Testament or something, and yeah. uh, and just made brief little sort of bullet points of the inner meaning. So he would say things like verses one to three, this means the Lord is good. Verses four and five means that he will save those who believe in him or something. And um, yeah. and so he goes through and he breaks down. So at the beginning, he's got a little list of these are the like 16 or 17 topics that come up again and again, like he breaks the whole thing down to uh, here's this topic, here's that topic, and he's able to label the topics. So it's an interesting work. He never published it, but he drew on it for other published things. And so we happen to have a, an ideal kind of situation where he actually gives you a very brief summary of his take on Psalm 23. And you guys out there at home might be saying, you're just being trendy, talking about Swedenborg's prophets and Psalms. Everyone talks about that. But it really is useful because I barely know what that book is. So even you're educating me right now. And and I it's important, too, because you don't always get, you know, his Secrets of Heaven goes directly through, you know, it's, it's Genesis, right? Is it some Exodus, too, maybe? But you don't have these these key psalms in there you'll have them pop up in various places but so it's so cool that he's got this little bit of a fly fly by there and we will show you 
right now, what it's like to experience uh, the prophets in Psalm. Yeah, this you'll, is you'll from, see it's it really is bullet points. I mean, just brace yourself. It's just like bullet it's, points. It's not even hardly whole sentences. It's everybody sitting down. Here's a quote from the inner meaning of prophets in Psalms number 273. And this is a general outline of what Psalm 23 is about. So it begins, internal meaning of Psalm 23. Concerning the Lord, verses 1 through 3, he teaches and leads to the truths and goods of heaven and the church. That's what that beginning imagery is about, where, you know, the Lord is the shepherd, we're lying in nice places, right? But then the psalm takes a bit of a turn. You know, we're starting to talk about the valley of death and the enemies. Hence, there will be no fear of the hells, for he guards and imparts good and truth in abundance. And then finally, That's pretty nice. Yeah, man. It's not, and it's just, you're, you're, everybody kind of gets what the, everyone who likes the psalm gets that it means that sort of stuff. But this is putting it right in its Swedenborgian context that what yeah. he's asserting is that all the, all of the word is about these goods and truths. And that's actually the stuff that makes up the internal structure of your mind. This is what makes your spirit up, that this is the universal presence of the Lord is in goodness and truth. Here he's saying, yeah, that that's actually this comforting piece of material and the imagery used there is actually directly related to it. And we'll, we'll go into more detail soon. But then finally, that sixth verse is, in heaven with the Lord to eternity. So that is a quick, that, that's the internal meaning. So we're talking about the truths and the goods of heaven and the church. That protects us from hell. And when you get that state, it becomes permanent. And that's what heaven is. So let's, mm. let's we got to do more. We got to go into that a little bit farther. I mean, I well, like I, it on its face. I don't know. I thought we were done. Aren't we done? You want to clock out? <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good, pretty good time there. So, yeah. and and it's it's not just it can't just be a given because there's some imagery in there uh, that we were mentioning that could be you know confusing at times. Um, that's so, right. And that yeah, account and, truly does not tell us what all those images are. You know, what are the pastures? All that. That's just sort of an overview. Right. So let's uh, let's take a look more closely at the imagery and the correspondences in there. So the, the first verse, would you give us that again, Jonathan? Sure. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even there, isn't it a little strange that we are a sheep? And <laughs> as right. it, it sounds it sounds nice we're habituated to it, but it's just a bit of a bizarre relationship that, that the Lord is a shepherd. So let's let's look into that a little bit. So. The symbolism or the correspondence of this of a shepherd is one who leads and teaches, which is pretty direct. And then a good, the good shepherd doesn't Jesus compare himself to a shepherd, one who leads yeah. people to live a good life. Ah, so right there. That's a little bit of of specificity. It's not just a shepherd. You think, yeah, what's a shepherd doing for sheep? It's protecting. And, and and keeping them in certain areas, but what's how what is God hurting us toward? Like what's our pasture? It's not the preservation of our life; it's leading us to live a good life because that is what is spiritually protective and, and life giving. Interesting. And I was so confused in my childhood about that phrase. I shall not want. It sounded like. Uh, the Lord is a shepherd I really don't want or need or something. 
but that's the opposite of what it means. It says, I shall yeah. not want means go wanting. Like it's sometimes also translated, I lack nothing. You know, the Lord yeah. is my shepherd. I, I'm not going to be going hungry or thirsty. I, I'm, I'm not going to be starving by myself. The Lord is yeah. the ultimate shepherd providing everything we need for a good life, all the spiritual things that we need. And right there, we're talking about hunger and thirst. And that is what you would have to fulfill on a natural level for you know somebody you're taking care of or an animal you're taking care of and sure we need those things but the correspondence of you know that's that's love and truth that love is the correspondence to food and truth to water so that that is what really is necessary to live this good life and why we don't we don't want because it's not it's not saying i have all the money and everything that i want this is not saying all of all of my desires have been fulfilled uh, this is saying that w what I really need is going to be provided, and I can trust that. Yes, and you put yourself in a shepherd's situation. It's got to be a lot about making sure that they have enough to eat, finding good pasture, uh, th that they have water. That's got to be a primary preoccupation because the sheep are not going to do well without that. And that's, and that's so, the shepherd's whole job. Yeah, you think about right? Sometimes you can picture God as, oh, God is out there and we're this consequence of creation, but we're not the, who knows where we are on God's priority list. But for a shepherd, the sheep is your whole career. So like, yeah, we, we are, we right. are important. Okay, let's go on. That's a, that's a great point that as the sheep are, so are you, like, how are you doing? Well, take a look at the sheep. That's how you're doing. Yeah. Right? That, that's your livelihood. Right. So in the second and third verses, he makes me lie down in green pastures, sort of an extension of what we were just talking about. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Such beautiful imagery. So we're obviously talking about peace, but, but let's get into what makes that peace. So in the symbolism here, grass, which isn't mentioned, you know, specifically, but that's what pastures are made out of. I think we can agree. Grass is true ideas that look toward a useful goal. So just lying down in the world, you can lie down with all kinds of problems and issues that you can't figure out. You can lie down with negative intent. Anybody can rest. But to, to be resting in these true ideas that look toward a useful goal, and mm. that is something that brings rest to the spirit. And then uh, green pastures, concepts of truth and goodness. So these would be you know, our grasping of that stuff. And then the still or quiet waters, these truths, but not it's not just water, it's still water, which is the resulting truth of heaven, which is a, like a water with peace in it. And then restoring our souls, being all these ideas, very literally setting our spiritual life in order. And didn't you have, you said that... um. We were saying when we were running through this that you had this fascinating uh, piece of information about the conditions in which sheep will actually lie down. I read this great book. I can't remember the name of the author or the title, unfortunately, but maybe people can find it <laughs> go, if you go search by the for book. it. But yeah. it was about a, a shepherd. I think it was called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And it was someone who was literally a shepherd of physical sheep. And one of the things he said, I can't remember the details, but that there are four things that sheep need before they will even lie down, like let alone go to sleep. You know how tough it is to put a little child to sleep sometimes. You, like everything has to be 
just just so you know and uh, with sheep they they can't be afraid of some external sort of enemy coming in and the most interesting one to me that I remember was that the sheep can't even be having a trouble with each other like if the sheep are mad at each other they won't lie down you know you got to sort of somehow resolve it or change the group or the dynamic or something and uh, and there were two others that I forget but I think it did have to do with being well fed and and you know those sorts of things and so they won't even begin to lie down let alone sleep and so it did make it more powerful to me reading that book realizing what it takes to get us to that spiritual state where we're right. really like so confident in these true concepts and in living a compassionate life that you can just lie in it and relax into it yeah and that talk about having your spiritual life set in order that you both are safe from your enemies which in the Bible, that would be hell. This is evil and falsity, or people devoted to that so much so that you, you're not going to be able to have some kind of truce with them. It's just you just need to be protected, right? But right. then, if but then it's like if there's a quarrel among the sheep, sort of. You know, if you if you come to the altar and have something against your brother, that it's sorting out. You know the the issues we have with each other, as well as protecting from the stuff that's just toxic. That sounds oh. like the spiritual life getting in order. That's cool. That's good. You want to go go on? Sure. So verse 3 says, uh, and this is the last phrase of verse 3, He leads me in right paths uh, for His name's sake. He leads me in right paths for His name's sake. The paths of righteousness, sometimes translated. That's so what does right. that mean? That's right. We're, so path, uh, symbolism, always has to do with a way of life you know this is the way I walk in it so the right path is a good mm. way of life and for his name's sake is for the sake of the lord's qualities of love and wisdom this is a, as a recurring correspondential interpretation of name is the name means the quality of the thing so to do something in the name of god you would do it a certain way just like if you're you're saying that i'm going to do something in the name of Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi, like I, I'm going to do something in their name means with a certain, with a certain goal, with a certain set of aims and certain methods, whatever it is, you know that this it's more than just saying a person's name. It's it's doing what they stand for. Yeah, so that gets to the motivation, doesn't it? That that you're not doing it for the sake of getting rich, although Swedenborg has no problem with that uh, in sure. and of itself, you know. But uh, that's not why you're doing it. You're not doing it for your ego or something. You're doing it to embody these qualities of love and wisdom. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's yeah. It's all about what's motivation. Because I can be saying, yeah, I'm gonna do, uh, I'm gonna do the right thing. But if it's it's if it's just to make myself look good, or if it's just to uh, make sure I avoid penalties or something, or or I'm just trying to you know somehow get ahead. For myself from that, sure, you can do good in the world, and that good can be real and help real people, but it's not going to do this ordering of our own spirits. You know, we, we've got to be working towards doing stuff in the name of the Lord, which means I want to help you because I want you to be helped, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I it, want it, to you, have you have things go better. When you say that, it strikes me that um, when you're doing things for yourself or for some sort of gain, you're not peaceful. Like when that's the primary motivation, you're not peaceful because if you don't get it, you're really angry, right? Yeah. 
you're not lying and down if, in some peaceful place. And if you do get it, you're insecure about it. Like, well, well, now everyone thinks I'm great for this, but the next time I do something, or what if I'm slipping? Or, yeah, it's, there's total, yeah, there's no, right. those are not still waters. That, that no. way of life is not still waters. That's hey, right. so for more, for more about, um, I t- said that paths are often a way of life. For more about that, we have uh, a video called The Gates to Heaven and Hell. You can take a look at that if you want to see more. And for more about God's name, see our show. We had a whole show called The Spiritual Meaning of Names, and we did a show called The Ten Commandments, God's Name Explained. So it really, we're not just making this up here. We made it up a few shows ago. <laughs> no, just kidding. All right, so what, <laughs> let's, let's go on. What, what's, the, what's the next thing in store? Well, uh, the, those first three verses were really talking about this peaceful state and we're following the Lord on a good path, and it's all good. Uh, but the next two verses, it's only six verses long. How could you have drama and that sort of thing? Yeah. But the next two verses are going to talk about dark valleys, about evil, about enemies. And why would anyone on a righteous path, a right path, have to deal with that stuff? Shouldn't it be leading you away from that drama? Yeah. And this, this is so great because isn't it like, okay, I've found this, what I feel like is the truth and I feel like it's helped me and maybe I've gotten into these really good states when I'm trying to live it and do it. And now, wait a second, I'm back here and now I'm just going through struggles and trials. Wasn't this supposed to lift me above that? But it's it's yeah. so baked into the experience that it, and let's, let's read why. I mean, this is an awesome yeah. number from Secrets of Heaven all about that uh, the, the that whole dynamic of why why are you going to have this nice little poem and then have the valley of the shadow of death in there? So <laughs> lying down means being in a calm state, since that is exactly what lying down and sleeping is. So that's when we're lying mm. down in green pastures. This is how the case stands with people who are to be reborn. So it doesn't mean this okay. is the people who are in the process of being reborn. When, when, okay, it's going to happen. You, you are making a, a, enough of an effort that we're able to get the Lord in there and we can start this process of getting your life devoted to goodness and truth. Okay, right now you're at peace, but that's not what the process is like. At the very beginning, they enjoy a state of calm or of outward peace. Outward peace or peace on the surface is called calm. Okay, nice. So, so if it was peace all the way through, you'd be saying... Why do we even need to be reborn in the first place? We've already, we're already right. But what we can have is sort of this outer piece. What the process is going to do is bring that all the way through. This, this state is produced by a state of divine peace deep within that reveals itself on the outer surface in the removal of cravings and falsities. Okay, so something good is in us, and it's able to, for a time, Get these cravings and falsities out of there. And look at this. These being the elements that cause all disquiet. Mm. So cravings so and true. falsities is what all mm. is leading to all disquiet. So either we're, we're longing for things that are toxic or we don't understand the full picture. Even people who you know, are having near-death experiences you know, or spiritual experiences around the, the most tragic stuff in life when they're in the truth and they see life as it really is, there's a state of peace and calm. Even though we come back to this state and there's all kinds of loss and grief. But when, you, when all the truth is there, when there are no misimpressions about things, there's peace. As babies, we always start our life in a state of serenity. 
But the further we go in life, or the more we mature, the further from that state we move. We surrender to worldly cares and consequently to anxiety brought on by the cravings of self-love and materialism and by the falsities they spawn. Which is just so cool because, yes, man, I have a daughter who's four and she's just got, like, it's not all peace, but man, is she in a lot more peace than I am. And it's because she's not as tied up in worldliness and materialism. That's, that's the childhood state. But it's, it's, it's peaceful for a while. But we've got to do this growing because it doesn't have the peace all the way to the core that we're looking for. Mm. Almost the same thing happens in our new life when we are being reborn. At first, we experience a tranquil state. But as we enter into our new life, we also enter a disquieted state. So spiritually, we're starting to grow up now. We're going to hit the spiritual puberty and all the issues that come. The evil and falsity we previously absorbed emerge in the open and agitate us. Uh-oh. Okay. So we had those cravings taken away, but now, but, but there was, those cravings and falsities were, we weren't conscious of them, but we still had evil and falsity absorbed into us, right? From, from life, from heredity, whatever. So now they emerge into the open and agitate us. In fact, we eventually suffer trials and harassment inflicted by the devil's crew, which Swedenborg usually calls evil spirits, which constantly strives to destroy our new life. And this is, this is, that, um, this is that hell we were talking about before, that we're, okay, we're getting safe from hell, we're, we're safe from predators, we've got to work things out with the sheep. Right now we're talking about predators. That hell, it's not like, okay, you need to go and sort things out with hell. Hell is predatory. They're just trying to destroy you, right? So this is a place where you need to have that protection. And when okay. you start to leave their ranks, they, they get mad, right? I mean, this is a loss of someone that they were counting on in some way. It's like somebody trading off your team or something. Like, yeah, yeah they're like mad. You, you think you, you think you can just ditch us like that? You can, And what we mean by that is when we're living a life of selfishness and materialism, we're just living an us-focused life, we're essentially, you know, being led by hell. I mean, it may be milder. Yeah, we, we may not but, realize it. We may not want but, that, but but that is what's right. going on. Yeah, that that's hell, and and it's going to stand in our way with heaven. So if we're saying no, we're, we're breaking away, they're going to try to pull us back. And this this is a really cool concept here. Nonetheless, there is a state of peace at our center. Hmm. So when this is going on, there's a state of peace at our center. If they were not, we wouldn't fight. So even that there's a conflict. It's a proof that you, you do know there's something more. You know there's something not right about these evils and falsities that are assaulting you. In right. the struggles we go through, in the struggles we go through, we keep our eye on that state as the end in view. And if we did not have it to aim for, we would never have the strength or power to fight. And if I so can if jump you, in there, Curtis, the um, uh, what a beautiful statement that is about how important it is to have a purpose right? If we didn't have that to aim for, you'd never have the strength to fight. Like once you realize, no, wait, this is great. This is going in a good direction. You know, that sort of encourages you to keep going. Yeah. Without that, and yeah, you, you, would, you would not have the power to keep battling because sometimes it's discouraging. And, and you don't know what you're hoping for. But if you know, wait, there's, there's something better there. And this applies to individuals, 
on our spiritual journey. This applies to you know us as a society. We're trying to get somewhere. We see, you know, look, this is this is how it can be, and we want to try to get there. So I think for myself, that also the vision of that state because we maybe had little glimpses of it here and there. Let's m- reminds me that wait, this is not it. It 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 gets better than this. Like th- this is better. not. This is not it. Right. So that's, that's right. so cool to think about. You have that inside you and you're fighting for that. And that actually that state, even though it seems totally drowned out by hell and all of the stuff piling on you, that state, that good state you're fighting for is much, much more real than hell. Mm. Because that state is is eternal. And hell is temporary mm. and hell is just lying is distorting the truth to try to get you upset. But the actual truth is that state. So it's just very, very cool. It is also owing to this vision that we conquer. Mm. Since it is our goal, it is also the state we enter after our struggles or trials. Okay, so it's not just like, okay, I know someday my life will be over and I'm in heaven. He does say you get into this state periodically as you're going through spiritual growth. It's like a state of spring taking over after states of fall and winter. It's like a state of dawn taking over after evening and night. And if you're ever feeling, you know, under siege by the night or by the winter, when we start to come out, you know, the cycles always go. Just look, think about that sunrise and those flowers popping out. It's like, no, this is, this is a reminder of what goes on inside us as well. It's pretty cool. I love that image that you have that peace in your heart and that you're headed toward this goal and striving to get there. It reminds me of that scripture that says, seek peace and pursue it. Like you have to yeah. sort of go after it. It's not, you're not just gonna automatically be in it with your whole being. But that's also where you end up because that's your goal. The Lord will give you the desires of your heart eventually through this process and you end up there and it's really great. And that's what uh, Psalm 23 is talking about it gets to hey, uh, before before you go there. I just want to say one last thing about this 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 state and keeping please. your eyes on it and hell yeah. trying to encroach on that. Remember, uh, we we did a show a long time ago with somebody named Jerry Marzinski, who was oh, yeah. what he was doing was working with people who were uh, you know uh, really under siege by hell to the point they're they're hearing voices and things and these voices yeah. very much act just like the evil spirits that Swedenborg describes. And he was saying that the thing that, that one of the main tools he'll give to, oh man, I keep hitting this mic. This is really a problem. Um, there's nothing we can do about it though. Um, maybe stop moving my hands, but I can't. They're important. Um, the one, one of the main tools that he gives is to tell people to, when you're under siege, when they're closing in on you, just keep, and, and, and trying to convince you of all kinds of horrible stuff about your life, just keep repeating the 23rd song. Keep repeating the 23rd Psalm. It's better to do that for an hour than to let this stuff pile in on you, right? And that's what I'll do for myself when I'm in in a distressed state. Just keep repeating it, keep repeating it, because it's it's reminding you about the state that we're going towards. Right. Okay. All right. So that's it. I love that. Yeah, let's get to more of the the Psalm. Well, verse 4 is still pretty intense. Even though I walk through the darkest valley... I fear no evil, for you are with me. Yeah, dark and light together. And you think about um, a valley. So what's a valley? It's some lowland between the hills, mountains and hills. Swedenborg says are these higher, deeper levels of consciousness connected with love for the Lord and the neighbor. 
So the valley is the lower, more superficial levels of consciousness, which are in comparative shadow. So what? Mm. So we're we're in this dark valley, this dark part of our mind. And Swedenborg talks about this dark valley explicitly in Apocalypse Explained 727. It says, in the spiritual sense, walking through the darkest valley means a clouded understanding which cannot see truths in their light. That's part of what happens when we go on this journey is there's times where you can see clearly like you're on a mountaintop or something and you can see where it's going and you have a goal in mind, you can see the horizon. And then there are other times where you hardly know where you are or what's going on. It's dark and, and you're confused and you don't even know if you're going the right direction. Um, so, so that's powerful to me. And the, the rest of that verse says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, this is specifically what that viewer was asking about, wasn't it? At yeah, one of that's our right. Two, and two questions we, today. We were musing in the beginning. You know, you'd think it'd be like your, your um, voice and your hug, they comfort me or something. Right, right. Well, so what's right. the rod and the staff that we're in the yeah. valley of the shadow of death, which is this disturbed state of mind, and what's the rod and staff? Well, here we're saying the rod and staff is the power of truth and goodness. Okay, uh, but why exactly would a staff symbolize power? What, yeah. what's, what's, what's that talking about? Well, Secrets of Heaven 4876 says, the reason actually answers that specific question. Isn't that lucky? Yes. The reason a staff symbolizes power is that it is a support it supports the hand and arm and through them the whole body so you don't fall over. As a result, a staff takes on the symbolism of the part it directly supports, which is the hand and arm. In the word, both the hand and the arm symbolize the power of truth and in the highest sense, the Lord's divine omnipotence, His being all-powerful. Because a staff represented the power of truth, that is, the power goodness has through truth, important little clarification there, mm. monarchs, right? Like kings and queens had scepters. Don't, don't you have that picture of, the, you know, the, the royal, they're holding the royal scepter in their hand. And the yep. scepters were shaped like short staffs. That's such an interesting little detail he throws in there. And it's not that that means every king or queen in whatever kingdom in history knew this correspondence, but that the, this world of symbolism is alive in the human psyche. Like we are tapped into it. And so that, you know, created this connection between the staff and power. So you, ha you just naturally had people wanting to express power through those. Now, kings and queens can be good or bad. Power can be good, good or bad. But if you think about power in the hands of the Lord, who is love and who is truth, power in the hands of truth and goodness, even breaking it down like that when you're in that state, when you really, mm. the truth shines in there and, and love, you remember love, that stuff is really powerful. Mm. Um, so, so let's, uh, and I've, but you know, where, let's, where exactly does the comfort come in though? Because uh, I still have that question from the beginning of the show. Yeah. Like what is, I mean, it can be terrifying if somebody has a position of authority, you know, the power of life and death over you. Uh, that sounds right? scary. It doesn't sound comforting to me. 
And and every, some people see God like that. So yeah, let's drill down a little farther. This is from Apocalypse Explained 727. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So Matthew, this is for you. You asked about it, right? Means that divine truth on the spiritual level together with divine truth on the earthly level will keep us safe. Okay. Spiritual level together with the earthly level because they have power. That's interesting. I yeah, don't feel I, like I've ever heard that. Yeah, I know. That is that is interesting. And my best guess of what uh, divine truth on the spiritual level would be truth about the nature of our minds and hearts and what we're doing here and life after death and so on. But it's interesting that it adds divine truth on the earthly level. I think of all those times that Jesus in the New Testament talked about hey, well, you know how it works on the Sabbath. If your sheep falls in a hole, you still pull it out, right? Or, you know, sort of knowing how the world works and and even down to like scientific truth and that kind of thing. I, I imagine that's yeah. that's the sort of thing it's talking about, that this truth on two levels. And I think, I think a way that that can show up for us is when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. So let's say hell is, is talking to you and trying to get you anxious or fearful about something happening, right? right. Let's say that, oh, I, I'm concerned that I'm gonna get sick or something. And there's two levels at which to combat that. There's one which is, look, the statistics are really good that I'm gonna be, you know, and, and I, that, there, there's mm. no reason why that would lead to this. You can argue with them on that level. If you just argue on that level, you'll always find yourself losing, I find. But there's times when you've got the spiritual level, which is the answer there is, look, divine providence is in everything. And there's right. the, the only thing out there is, is heaven and love and light. So even if I did get sick and died, there would be heaven right there. But the, that, that is not going to be dictated by the physical world. It's going to be dictated by providence. And the Lord is not going to cause any harm that doesn't have to be caused. That's it. But to sort of pair that, like everything's in the hands of the Lord, he knows what's mm. best, with and you guys are just being ridiculous. You're being nonsensical. Sometimes that can be a potent <laughs> combo, you know? Oh, that, that's awesome. I, I, really, I really love that because I think part of what he means by truth on the outer level or earthly level is also just what is rational, what makes sense. Oh, yeah, you know? right. Which is sometimes kind of absent from religious conversations but really should be in there. Yeah. Totally. Uh, okay, so, so, so far so good on this number. A rod yeah. stands for divine truth on the spiritual level, and a staff stands for divine truth on the earthly level. And together at the same time, they refer to divine truth's power of protection. Because to comfort means to keep safe. Okay, there you go. All right. It's really in that place of the mind, what you're looking at is to be freed, to be kept safe. from, And that is what the comfort is. Because like, even if you're offered something soft, you're not distressed because you're lacking that. You're distressed because you're being attacked, right? Yeah, that's Be right. Because a rod and staff mean the power of divine truth, the phrases that come next, you prepare a table before me, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows, symbolize spiritual nourishment by means of divine truth. Preparing a table means to nourish spiritually. Anointing a head with oil means by means of a loving goodness. And a cup means by means of true teachings from the word, the cup here being for wine, wine in particular correspondence with divine truth. Oh, interesting. So those those three things, the first means to nourish spiritually. The second means, yes, what nourishes us is love and, and treating people well, 
like the loving goodness, treating people well, and true insights, true teachings, those are what nourish us. That's cool. Mm. And that brings us to verse five. Yeah. Uh, which is one I've often pondered like, I don't know, I used to think this was so beautiful and then I started thinking about it like, wait a minute, you prepare <laughs> a table before me in the presence of my enemies like I would rather have dinner without. Do the enemies always have to come? Do we have to invite them? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, can we? Uh, we can't. Let's let's go. Let's. Uh, we just walk into the restaurant. Like, oh, we got to go at that table right there. Are all of my enemies? <laughs> yeah. Just once, yeah. could we like, not right. invite the enemies to dinner? Could we just not Ooh. give them the invite? We're sitting down, you, you and God ready to have some dinner and you there's a knock on the door and God's like, Oh, I'll get it. Okay. Come on in. It's all your enemies. <laughs> oh, it's all the worst people. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. What, what, what is it, going it, on there? That, that's not as comforting as it, it feels comforting, but like when you think about it, it's like, wait a minute, what's going on? Yeah. So, so spiritually the table is an ability to receive heavenly qualities and happiness from the Lord, which is awesome because what is the table there for? It's to make it so the food's accessible, right? Mm. So if you're talking about the food being these heavenly qualities, the happiness, the truth that's in there, the table makes it so you can access that stuff. So the Lord mm. gives you the ability to access that. Then in the presence of the enemies, even while going through spiritual struggles. And I think the reason why we intuit the, the meaning of this part of it, why it feels comforting is because when you resonate with this part, you're already surrounded by enemies. So the idea that Look, if you're able to sit there and eat where your enemies are there, you're not they must not be that much of a threat. You know, if you can like let your guard down and be eating food and, and there's just something peaceful about the idea of doesn't matter if they're around, you with you here with me, we can just sit down and have a meal. You know, there's something cool about the, that. The image that you had before of them knocking on the door and coming in. It's like, well, no, they've been with us a long, a long yeah. time. They're our, right. our little buddies, you know, they're, they're our good friends and they come with us everywhere we go. And so, uh, but the amazing thing is that in that experience with the enemies, getting clear that that is the enemy is actually nourishing to us. You know, we, we, we get fed by that experience. And Swedenborg right. talks about how people were astounded to see him surrounded by like crowds of evil spirits. But he said it's actually beneficial if you're protected by the Lord. You learn a lot. You learn a lot from them. It, it's it, it, You actually right. get fed by that interaction in an interesting oh, way. I was thinking because I'll, I'll often w wish that these these spiritual concepts that I'm getting out of, you know, Swedenborg's writings, I'm hoping like, oh, that should banish all my regular <laughs> negative head chatter right. that says right, right. Uh, stupid things about myself and about other people and about the world. But to have that, that stuff doesn't, isn't stopping, but to be able to be in there and, and almost argue with it, to be able to display the contrast between the truths and it, that's the only reason, I mean, you know, that's the only reason why we can all gather online and share our insights into how you apply these truths, both what we're doing on the show and what you all do in the comments is because we we're using them against the stuff that's that's attacking us. If suddenly, as soon as you knew it all, you never got that chatter, you'd never be able to sharpen that, you'd never be able to hone that and use it to to properly oust that stuff. And you couldn't just erase that stuff anyway, because that stuff is inrooted. You know, you just like try try clearing a 
a place that's been a garden that's you know gotten out of control try clearing it and see how quickly everything comes back up it's it's just like that so in and 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 seeing something so seeing something so obviously hateful and lacking in compassion or egotistical or or whatever it is really helps your understanding like oh i see it lord thank you you know i can really see what that is so i can avoid that and move away from that in my own life and this interestingly leads into the second half of that strange verse 5 that you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows beautiful image but what does that mean so the oil is heavenly love and goodness so you're put, putting that on the head and the head is what what leads everything so to say look i'm going to put this heavenly love and goodness you know, in the driver's seat with you. Mm. Anointing a head with oil is wisdom that comes from goodness. The head also being, you know, where the brain is. So this idea that, yeah, so we've got this goodness and it's now what we're going for. And the the wisdom is like the way that you interact with love. You know, it's how you put it to practice. Mm. And then the cup, the cup is the spiritual truth, right? The counterpart to that. Uh, and the cup overflowing is an understanding founded in truth. And you can, sometimes I do feel like when I'm in, when I have like a mental state that before would have gotten me, you know, all messed up, but there are some truths that I'm leaning on and it's working. You just feel like, well, I, like I feel like a superhero. Like I feel like yeah. my cup, I've got, I got, I got more than I'll ever need in here. It just, it's just never ending. For, for a little ah, while. T- t- I back. like that. Yeah, Swedenborg talks about the symbolism in Secrets of Heaven 5120. The word often mentions a cup or goblet, and in a positive sense, it symbolizes spiritual truth or religious truth springing from charitable goodness, always about the love and compassion, which is the same meaning wine has. A cup has the same symbolism as wine because a cup is a container and what it holds is wine. They make a unit then, and accordingly the one has the same meaning as the other. Arranging a table and anointing someone's head with oil, here in Psalm 23, stands for giving someone the gift of a charitable, loving goodness. And my cup will brim, which is a little different translation, but you see it's that overflowing concept there, right? Yes. Means that the earthly level, the earthly level, will be filled with spiritual truth and goodness as a result. So when you push through, all that stuff is going to, it used to just be on the inside and you're battling on the outside. But once you push through and the Lord brings you through, all of a sudden that that can come flooding out into your outer self and you can really feel the abundance of it, that that love in your heart grows, that wisdom in your mind grows. And uh, so that's a beautiful image. And it's so cool to think about the, you go out, you go in to the mind and, and, you know, on this path and you find a new way to be. And at first it's just in this sort of sacred space, right? It's, it's this new compartment in your consciousness. But to think of that coming all the way out into when you're doing the dishes, when you're taking out the trash, when you're trying to navigate bills and stuff like that, the idea of your, your everyday interactions, that stuff overflowing mm-hmm. into that, that's, that's super cool. That's and very cool. It's um, as well, though, uh, it could be a little strange uh, for people to think about why is wine 
symbolize spiritual truth because sure it can be enjoyable it can also be destructive in people's lives there's yeah. always this curious imagery we don't have time to get into that here but we did a whole swedenborgian life live show called the symbolism of water and wine so go check that out if you want more about that but now it's i mean we're we're to the end here let's let's talk about this final verse yeah how does this all going to get wrapped up verse six surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. So you know, on its face is there's there's not too much puzzling language there. This is just like about that. Pretty state straightforward. That's for. right. Yeah. yeah. So dwelling in is living our life. The house of the Lord, again, it's not defined by, okay, I've now I'm in some other dimension that's called heaven and I'm going to pass through a certain gate and so then I'll be in the house of the Lord. It's the heavenly mindset. Yeah. It is the house of the Lord. The Lord is trying to build that house in your head right now. So you can, you, you, it's more like being a heavenly turtle. Right? You take your house wherever you go, right? Ah. Um, and that's exciting because that means we can have it here as well. So my whole life long is forever because remember, life doesn't end. So it's an eternal state of being in the house of the Lord, which is just about the greatest, which is the greatest thing that could ever be conceived of. And for more about the house of the Lord, and what that means, if you're still not seeing that as this vision you want to move toward, we did a short clip called, Can You Dwell in the House of the Lord? All right, so do you want to, you want to say anything more about the, the 23rd Psalm? Well, uh, Swedenborg helpfully gives us a, a takeaway of his own, in a sense. In Apocalypse Explained 375, he gives a quick summary of the message, which I find very helpful. We had that summary at the beginning, but now we've gone through all these details. Well, how do we wrap this up? He does it for us in a way. He says, in the inner sense, this whole psalm, this Psalm 23, means that when we trust in the Lord, we are led into all the goodness and truth that heaven has to offer, and we overflow with the delights of them. So that throws in a little bit of different different feeling. When he's talking about goodness and truth, it can sometimes seem quite abstract. But when this flows into your outer self, it's just like so much joy, you can hardly yeah. stand it. Swedenborg talks about all the fibers of his being kind of vibrating with joy. And, and so we, we get overflowing with the delights of them. It's pretty amazing. And, and something that we need to take a moment to let it sink in, like that, that vision of what life can be like. So let's take a little moment here for meditation. We spent all this time learning what it's all about. And you know the word the words of the 23rd Psalm, or maybe you, you know them a little more now. And we know the meaning in the 23rd Psalm, or we've started to explore the meaning in it. Any of these pieces of, of sacred text has, you know all the meaning you could possibly imagine in it. But we started that journey. But let's step back from the words and ideas and let's let's experience the imagery. What is it describing? Because you can it can be described in words, but you also can look at images of the text. I mean, of what's happening in the text. So let's take a moment here now to uh, have this imagery. Just let the imagery play and, and see how it goes.
and this is something you can can call to mind you know, whenever you're seeing green pastures or still water that this this is a living promise or a living evidence of this process the lord takes us through so it's it's pretty awesome jonathan uh we've we've learned a lot today do you have some kind of uh summary or what's the takeaway from all this i don't think i could uh, top what what swedenborg had there in the way of a takeaway but uh, the way I'm holding it is that if we trust in the Lord, uh, yes, we may be in for a, a bumpy ride with that, but the benefits are unbelievable and everlasting. And uh, I'm also coming away from this experience thinking that there's a reason this is a favorite psalm. This is a, there's a reason this is what people say when they're frightened or feeling, uh, you know, profoundly shaken or out of sorts. And, and um, there's a reason, because this does contain a real spiritual comfort. And our angels probably love hearing us say it and connect with us about it, that promise of peace yet to come. Awesome. All right, I'll hook, hook you guys up with uh, a couple sayings of it later today. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for making this show possible. Uh, it was super fun getting to do this with all of you. And we're just going to jump away for a moment to show, show you how you can be part of this programming because we're a not-for-profit. We need your help. And then when we come back, we'll talk about what's coming up in the rest of the week. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. As a nonprofit, we depend on donor support to continue to create high-quality programming. Any gift you give joins you to the central network of people in the world who make our work possible. You can deepen the significance of your gift by making it in memory or honor of someone special in your life. This could be done as a one-time gift, recurring monthly, or run as a special fundraiser for your circle of friends and family. Go to otle.causevox.com and follow the prompts to make a gift in whatever way is most meaningful for you. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every day around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through in this way, in the end, everybody wins. And thank you so much to all of you who have supported. We appreciate it more than we can say. You have made mm. this possible. Thanks, and thanks, thanks from everybody who this this project is is touching. You're you're making it go. And to to show we're serious about going, here's what we got coming up this week. We have news from heaven. We're on Thursday. We're gonna talk about the spiritual difference between animals and humans. On Saturday, we'll delve into four things that God cannot do. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Short clips. <laughs> we got Wednesday. Heaven is different for everyone. Friday, our spirit attachments change as we change. And next Monday will be our live Q&A show. Good questions. So if we didn't answer your questions here, feel free to bring them up there. And then the following Monday, we've got Awakening to God's Design Changes Your Spirit. So that's it. That, I was so glad to get to do that. Um, thanks for Karin, who put this research and writing together for this. Thanks to Stuart, who's doing the tech. And thank you, Jonathan, for hanging out. That, that's really been Great getting to hear your insights on the whole thing. It really warmed my heart to do this and got me into a different state. I loved it. Awesome. Hope, hope it warmed the hearts of all of you out there and looking forward to seeing you very soon. Hope you have a great day. Swedenborg and Life Live is Curtis Childs, host and showrunner with co-host Jonathan Rose. 
live stream tech and graphics by Stuart Farmer and Matthew Childs, show writing and chat moderation by Karin Childs and Chelsea Odner. Hey, Off the Left Eye community, we're very excited to announce that we're starting a brand new podcast called Inside Off the Left Eye. Every Sunday, starting July 19th, you'll get to come Inside Off the Left Eye with me, Chelsea Odner, to hear exclusive interviews with Curtis Childs and the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Rose as we explore fascinating ideas in Swedenborg's writings and delve into their historical context. Inside Off the Left Eye is your place to get sneak previews and extras of all the content Off the Left Eye produces, as well as to learn all the ways that you can be involved so you don't miss a thing. Subscribe now to Inside Off the Left Eye wherever you listen to podcasts.